So, John chapter 11. We're going to finish John chapter 11 today. Um, this, the end, I could have done the whole chapter last week and just got through, but the, the, the last part of John chapter 11 teaches something really important, and especially it's important when you go through, you know, hard times in your life, trials, tribulations, suffering of any kind, and you know those things are coming, uh, and it's something we've talked about before when we've talked about suffering and all those things. We, uh, we it, you know, we know that verse, that the one that we quote all the time that says, you know, God works all things together for good for those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. Um, but sometimes it's hard to, especially when you're the one suffering. You know, I've said this before. If you walk, if somebody walks into my room while I'm suffering, and and they say, "Well, now God's working this for your good," you you know, it sounds like a big religious cliche. It sounds like I just want to punch you in your face because. You know, you, you don't understand what I'm going through and all that kind of stuff. But here at the end of this section, what we're going to see is we're going to it's going to show that that God's purposes are always fulfilled. God's purposes, God's working uh, for a specific purpose and end, not only throughout the whole world as the world moves to the end in which it was designed, not only in the life of Christ as he moves from you know ministry to the cross and to die and rise again, but also in in your life, you know, and and when I say that God has a purpose in your life, you know, you get to thinking about the guys on TV that want to make sure you can be healthy and wealthy and all those kind of things. But the reality is that most of the time when God wants to teach me something, I'm talking about me personally, when He wants to teach me something, it's going to come through hardship. And it's going to come through suffering. And it's going to come through, you know, when God makes me comfortable and healthy and happy and everything is going great and life is wonderful, those are the times when I usually forget about God. Those are the times when I usually, you know, I just lean back and just enjoy the ride and everything's fine. I don't worry about praying. I don't worry about, you know. And it's the times when God actually brings you to your knees that we realize that we actually need it. So you can see that in some ways... This is probably not going to sound great or wonderful, but suffering is a grace from God when you suffer. I mean, when you're going through suffering, it doesn't feel like that. And all you want is out and out. How could this be happening to me? And all those, you know, things when we grieve and we go through all those things, those are, you know, it's part of the process. But the reality is God does, God molds us and makes us uh, in... The, I want to say the best way, but you know, you know what I mean when I say God does His best work with us when we are um, broken. You understand what I mean when I say that? When we're broken, it's a whole lot easier to put us back together. You know, so well. Anyway, when what you're going to see here in this passage is that it just seems like everything is going against. If you were in the first century and you were a follower of Jesus and you were looking around, you would start to think, man, everything's going wrong. This is, this is not going to end up good. It's not going to end up bad. And then you're going to hear the testimony of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish leaders, and Caiaphas, which was the high priest, who we know him as the one who was one of the guys who uh, accused Jesus at his trial. And so you're going to hear him, but you're going to see even God working through the people who are rebelling against God. 
See what I mean? You're going to see God's purposes fulfilled even in the midst of the enemies of Christ. And Brother Eddie preached the sermon last, uh, I think it was... It was Wednesday, that last Wednesday. And if you weren't here to hear it, uh, I'd encourage you to find it and listen to it. Uh, it was about God making your enemies your footstool, you know, and, and that's a passage that we've heard lots of in Scripture. But God will even use the people who are out to get you, the people who are rebelling against God's commands, the people who are uh, utterly sinful and pagans, the ones that are trying to persecute you, the ones that are trying to get rid of the church. Uh, the ones, you know, that you see on TV that are persecuting Christians. and I mean, God will use your enemy uh, for his good purpose in your life. And, and if you if you wait long enough and are observant long enough, you'll see that. And so what we're going to see is God's going to do that right here with with Caiaphas and, and those uh, those uh, the, the Jews that are trying to kill Jesus. And the application for all this is before we start reading is that, you know, God has got. The, this all things work together for good, it works in your life as well. You know, right now the whole world is going to try to stop you from trusting in Christ. The whole world is going to try to uh, dissuade you from your belief in Christianity, dissuade you from the joy that you have in Christ. Even people in your family, friends, you know, circles of influence, they're going to, even if they don't realize that's what they're doing, that's what they're attempting to do. You know, you go and, you know, uh, well, so-and-so just thinks she's holier than all of us. And, you know, you know, they're, they're godly people and they're, they're uh, got to go to church on Sunday night. So, you know, they can't come to the party with us. And, you know, even if they don't realize what they're doing, everything inside them is going to be trying to pull you away from from God's word and God's truth. You know, even when they try to help, it's going to be trying to pull you away from God's word and God's truth. But what we see here is that God's purposes for you uh, can't be thwarted by the rebellion of mankind. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that right? Even when men rebel, uh, God uses it for his purpose. And you see it all through scripture. You see, uh, you see Joseph, you know, his brothers committed a sinful act against him. They beat him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. That was not God. God was angry with the brothers for what they did. That was not God's uh, desire for them, they sinned, they broke God's law. But yet, even at the end of that story, Joseph said, it was not you that sent me here to Egypt, it was God that sent me here to Egypt. So God used the rebellion of those brothers to save many people alive, to uh, bring Israel to Egypt. Uh, you can see in Isaiah chapter 10, uh, if you would read that passage, you can see that uh, God says, I'm going to bring the Assyrians against Jerusalem and they're going to destroy the whole place and they're going to kill everybody and they're going to just be the rod. He calls them the rod of my judgment. And then in the same chapter, Isaiah chapter 10, he turns around and judges Assyria for what they did to his people. So you see that God is going to use even the rebellion, the sinfulness of, his, of people uh, for good, for a good purpose in your life, for, for those who love him, and a good purpose for the, for the world as the world moves toward the end of history where God comes and consummates all things and new heavens, new earth, and all that. Y'all with me? Yeah. Any questions before we start? Nope. Quiet. Okay. Where are we starting? 45? Says... Uh, okay, so let me... If you weren't here last week, what happened? God... Uh, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. 
And there's a lot of people around, and this is the final miracle that he's going to do in the book of John. This miracle right here is going to cause all kind of turmoil. People in Jerusalem are going to hear about it. Bethany, where he did this miracle, is only a couple miles from Jerusalem. And so this is not just some Messiah guy saying he's the Messiah in the backcountry working miracles. This is national news now. He's in Israel. It's like it's going through the going through. If today it would be all the media and, and all that, it's going through the streets of Jerusalem. That here is a man who has raised someone from the dead who'd been dead for four days, and so it's 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 going to cause people to start taking notice of Jesus. It's going to cause and it's going to cause the Pharisees and the the religious leaders to start saying, "Okay, we got to get rid of this guy." And so he had just done this, and then verse 45 says, uh, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, this is talking about raising Lazarus from the dead, they had saw this miracle that he had done, they believed on him. Okay? If you saw a man raise another man from the dead who'd been dead four days, he wasn't just dead and like, well, he might have just been sleeping, he might have been, you know, just resuscitated. This guy was decomposing and stanky and rotten. And and so it says he rose from the dead. Many believed on him, verse 46 says, but some of them went their way to the Pharisees. And what did they do? They snitched him out. They told on him. They told what things Jesus had did. Why do you think they went and did that? You got one group that believed on him and trusted on him. One group that ran to the Pharisees and told him. Why? Why do you think they told him? You think they knew the Pharisees was going to be after him? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'd get some money or something. Maybe. Just out of meanness. Yeah, out of hateful. I mean, I don't have the right answer. I'm asking you what you think. They thought they'd get favor from, like, if they thought they were doing God's work. Yeah, that could be very true. They thought, you know, that these guys are the leaders, the religious religious guys, so we need to go tell them this this guy's messing up their deal. Most religious people don't believe it, and I could see a lot of people going, if he was really the Messiah, then they would get behind it. I'm going to tell them, so. That could be very true. I think that's very good. Or they might think that, hey, they need to know because here's our Messiah. That's true, too. They may need to know. Uh, maybe, I, maybe you don't really know. <laughs> well, no. Well, I, I think that their motives are the way that it's said in contrast. Some believed, some ran and told. It seems like to me that their motives are not good. So that's just. I mean that, that's just me thinking. So you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't build a whole religion out of that or nothing. I'm just saying that's just me thinking. They went and told what Jesus done. It's the same story that we've seen over and over again in John. You've seen belief, unbelief. You've seen light and darkness. You've seen uh, people who, when the the preaching of the gospel is heard, they're convicted at the heart, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes that gospel and starts convicting them and, and showing them their need for a Savior, revealing the truth about Jesus. And then you've got another person sitting right next to them who hears the exact same gospel preached, hears the exact same thing, and instead of conviction and repentance and all those, you get rebellion. You get angry. You get 
it's the same way today. Two people are going to sit in uh, in service together after after Sunday school here, and they're going to hear the same message. They're going to see the same brother Eddie's going to preach the you know one message to all of us together. One guy sitting right here will be convicted, repent, trust in Christ because the Spirit has come and take that gospel and and brought it down to his heart and just opened him up to understand these things. And another guy is going to be texting through the whole service. He didn't really care. He's going to be thinking about getting a cheeseburger after after service or whatever. And so you see the same thing over and over again. Now, think about this for a minute. I want you to really put yourself in their position. These people, the, the, the people that he's talking about, were the mourners. You know, they were maybe some knew the family. Maybe some were hired by the family to be mourners at Lazarus's funeral. And all of them came. They followed Mary out to where she was going. They thought she was going to, uh, to the grave. But she went to Jesus instead. And then Jesus said, show me where you laid him. And they brought him there. And all these people are standing around. And they know they've been there for four days. They know the guy's been dead for four days. They knew that, I mean, there was no coming back from dead. He was, he was deader than a doornail. I mean, he was already rotting. He was already, they had, in those days, they wrapped him in uh, spices and ointments with, with rags, uh, not so much to preserve them, but just to keep the stink down, you know what I mean, because they just stunk. And so uh, they knew that he was dead, and then they saw Jesus come and just say, Lazarus, come forth. And then this dead guy got up and walked out of this tomb. So imagine seeing that. I mean, you know, you know that it's it's I mean it's 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 undoubtable in your mind. You can't doubt that the guy was dead. You can't doubt that the guy is now alive. You can't doubt that Jesus came and raised this guy from the dead. How could you not believe after seeing such a thing? He was still wrapped too. He didn't come out. Yeah, he was wrapped in the stuff. Yeah. And they had to they had to take it off when he got out. People still do that all the time. I know. But because their hearts are still hardened. I mean, they're they're still blind. As going with John, they're still blind. You know, the blind man said, you know, I don't know much. I just know that I was blind, but now I can see. Well, they're still blind because they want to. They're they're still so consumed in who their own selves, their sin. That yeah, they're just looking for like Valerie said. They're just still looking for a way to to work up that that. Ladder, I guess you said that social ladder. Yeah. Have you ever felt like that about people that you talk to and your family, friends, whatever? It's like, I wish you would just open your eyes and see what I'm saying. I mean, and it's after a while it makes you feel like maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I just ain't, I ain't got the one, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I don't know what words to say. I don't know, you know, the right way to do it. I need some, but the reality is. You know, the best thing that you can do in those situations is is pray. I mean, I know it sounds like a cliche, like, yeah, you know, we, uh, but the reality is it's God that's got to open that heart. I mean, it's God that's got to come and make himself real. I mean, it's like uh, preaching to uh, uh, Brother Eddie alluded to uh, Ezekiel the other night where it's the dead bones, you know, Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel prophesied of these bones. And Ezekiel was like, they're bones. He's like... Will these bones live? I mean, it, there's no sense in prophesying to dead people. And when he started preaching, he said the Spirit came uh, and 
you know, they started getting muscles and started, you know, they start, they God brought them back to life. And that's really what the gospel is. It's taking, it's taking dead men and bringing them to life. Paul said that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and God made us alive through that. So we see that. Now, I want to show you the, it's a picture of, of we're going to focus in on the Pharisees and the the ruling council, the religious leaders, and it, what it does is it, it shows us the uh, like a close up of man's unbelief. It says in verse verse forty seven after the they came and they told the 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 Pharisees it says then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council in verse forty seven, and they said what do we or literally it's what are we doing for this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, this is a picture of how men, how us, we reason our way to unbelief. We reason our way to unbelief because we just find some way to justify it. Now, think about this. You know the people that we were talking about a moment ago that maybe you have been... Uh, talking to or, or that you can't understand why they can't get it. Uh, we got that. We got how they reason out of unbelief. But I want to show you also that we do it in our own hearts. Like God says, do this in his word. And we don't do that. And then we say, well, you got to understand the circumstances I was in. I, you know, it, it was just we we will find any little loophole to try to make sure that we don't that we don't do it God's way. And that's what we see here is that they're going to, these men should have known more than anybody else on the planet. I mean, think about this. These men more than anybody else on the earth at that time knew who the Messiah was going to be as far as what he would do. They knew the miracles that, you know, it says in Isaiah and, and many of the prophets that when the Messiah comes, he's going to heal the blind, heal the blind, and raise the dead, and he's going to do all these things. They were in a position because they were studied in the Scripture and knew the Scripture better than anybody else at the time. They were in a position to know that this was the Messiah when they saw him doing these works and they rejected him, not because they didn't understand, not because they didn't really get how, you know, this could all work together, but they rejected him because, number one, they didn't want all the people believing on him. Number two, that they thought that if he, they let him go and do what he was doing, the Romans would come away and they would take away their nation and their place. So what you see is they 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 were afraid of losing their... Yeah, their authority, their their social status, their authority. Uh, if if everybody goes away to believe on him, look at verse forty-seven. It says no, verse forty-eight. It says, uh, if we let him alone, all men will believe on him. Okay. Now understand, the dude just raised a dead guy. Okay, he had has just raised a man from the dead. That demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt. That he he is from God. Only God can raise people from the dead. That's just, it's a fact. Only God can do that. And so, in the face of this miracle, they knew it was true. They had Lazarus right there, you know, to prove it. They had the scripture that told them that's what the Messiah would do. And they had the testimony of all these people that had came and said, Oh, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this man had just raised Lazarus from the dead, but rather than understand that he is from God, and if we're going to get on God's side, maybe we need to go at least talk to him, bring him in, you know, uh, submit to him, do those things. 
they said, you know, if we let him alone, everybody's going to believe on him. They, they were more, and what's really, really strange about this is their job was as priests and, and Pharisees and, and rulers in the temple, their job was to bring men and women to God. Their job was to bring them closer in relationship. Their job was to mediate through through their worship and their sacrifices. Their, their job was to be that kind of bridge between God and man where men could come and understand God's law, understand God's word, worship God, offer sacrifice to God, uh, to be in relationship with God. And then here God came in human flesh and was doing the exact things that were prophesied that he would do. And instead of fulfilling the of going and saying, you know what, all these people need to go to Jesus because here he is. They said, we can't let all the people go and believe on him. Even though he's raising people from the dead. What? I'm just wondering, like, they knew he was like Messiah, but were they caught up in, like, what they thought it would be like when Messiah came? Like, didn't they think that, like, he would come and then overthrow the Roman government yes. and charge and all that. Yes. So it's maybe they just didn't recognize that it wasn't like what they thought. And they couldn't handle that. It like blew up their view of how it was going to go down. That's true. They 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 knew what I'm saying is they knew the works that the Messiah was supposed to do, the miracles, the the causing blind to see, raising the dead. They knew that what he was supposed to do, and they knew that Jesus was actually doing these things. Uh, but there was a very, very popular thing among the Jews around that time that said that any Messiah is going to come and he's going to deliver us out of Roman rule. So they weren't expecting a dying and rising Messiah. They weren't expecting a Messiah to come and be crucified. They weren't expecting a carpenter from Galilee. They were expecting a king, a ruler, uh, someone with a scepter and an army that would come and overthrow. And that would have kept them in Right. That's what that's what they were hoping for is that they would be out of the Roman occupation. They would be out of under Roman rule and they would have their, you know, they'd still have their temple, they'd still have their position, they'd still have their high priest authority, they'd still have all those things. But Jesus had spent remember now, he spent the the majority of his ministry calling them names, you know, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, you you whatever. So they knew that Jesus really wasn't for them. You know, they knew that, that uh, there was going to be a problem if Jesus really was the Messiah. So what I'm saying is that although their evidence was there that Jesus was the Messiah, even though they were expecting a different kind of Messiah, the reality was that they could not accept Jesus as the Messiah, even if he really was because the conflict that they had already had for so many, you know, for two years with Jesus uh, made them understand that if he was the Messiah, they were in bad trouble and they were going to lose their position. And the Romans, what happens was whenever whenever someone come and claim to be a Messiah, the Romans let the Romans let people govern themselves. When they conquered a territory, they just let you know they might put a governor in place, they might put a magistrate in place, just kind of oversee things. But you know, y'all just govern yourself, and as long as you're sending money back to Rome, 
You know, it's all good. But once riots start happening, once things start, you know, you're trying to rebel against Rome. Once that starts happening now, we send them the troops in. And so we'll take over the place and then we'll change the government. We'll do all that kind of stuff. And so this is what they feared. They feared that if this man, if everybody goes and believes on him, what's going to happen is the Romans are going to come in and they're just going to they're just going to take all this away. We won't we won't have the temple anymore. We won't have um, we won't have our authority anymore. We won't even have a nation anymore. And I love how it says our. It says, verse 48 says, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. So they, they were, there's a, you could say that they were, you know, worried about, you know, because Israel is the people of God and the temples where God is worshipped, and they're worried about, you know, losing that. But it seems to me that they were more concerned about losing their own personal, their own personal stuff their own personal authority, their own personal, you know, you couldn't rule over the people anymore if you're not the priest, if, if the Romans come. To, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't prosper by the people. These guys were rich now. I'm talking about rich, upper, upper echelon of society here. If To be a priest in a temple was not just, oh, you were, you were a holy guy. And all, I mean, it, you were a Pharisee. You were well-known in the streets. People looked up to you. You were honored. You know, you were, you were somebody. I mean, that was a, a status symbol. And so they would lose that. They would lose authority. They would lose the money that they're making. People coming and bringing that offering. People coming and buying animals to be sacrificed in the temple at really, really high prices. And so you would lose all that kind of stuff. You would lose, uh, you know, there was no, people didn't need you to get to God if they could get to God through this carpenter in Galilee. You make, does it make sense? Now, you might be thinking, well, how's that apply to me? But don't you, I, I mean, we should see that we do that all the time. You know, if I follow what God has said here, I'm going to lose all this. I'm going to lose, you know, my my house, my rapport with my coworkers, my 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 status among the community, my you know, my my uh, friendship with this person, my whatever. We do that all the time. I mean, that's just a fact of life. That's everyday thing. It reminds me of there was a man. Uh, he he was about to make a decision. He used to go to church here. He was about to make a decision that uh, you know concerned. Uh, uh, concerned me. It was a friend of mine. And so I called him on the phone and I said, just tell me one thing. Would Jesus approve of what you're fixing to do? And he said, no. He said, but I have to do what's right for my family. See what I mean? So what, what he was saying was, you know, I know this is what God wants me to do, but if I do it God's way, I'm going to lose out. God's way is not the best way. This way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to keep what I got. I'm going to be able to keep my money, my prestige, my whatever it is that you have. You know, if you have a business or if you have relationships that you or if you have, you know, I'll tell you a perfect story. I tell the youth all the time. When I was, uh, when I was in, in seminary, uh, a lot of the classes I did were online. And so, you know, you're taking a test online. What happens is they'll post the test. And when you click on it to take the test, you got a time limit. And so you won't have time just to go hunting. You know, you ain't got all day. And you can't stop and come back later. You get one shot at it, and it's like 15 minutes. 
And if you don't finish in 15 minutes, then you don't finish, you know. So it's kind of like that's how they keep you, you know, honest, right? And so I studied. It was Old Testament. And, and you think Old Testament would have been easy. But this was not just about what's in the Bible. This was about how historians had viewed the Old Testament and, the you know, the, yeah, all this graph Wellhausen thesis and, you know, all these things about uh, the history of the interpretation of the Old Testament. And so I spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks studying. And I memorized, I'm talking about memorized and could regurgitate like, like I don't know, it was 200 pages worth of notes. And I had them memorized. And I, I'm ready now. I'm ready to take this test. And so I go and I click on this test. And the information in the test, the questions, were based on something that I had not studied. I have no idea what it was. But evidently I got the wrong notes or I got the wrong section of notes. So all this stuff I had memorized over these weeks and weeks and weeks was useless. And these were not questions like, you know, who led the people out of Egypt? These were like, you know, it's like, it's like what year, what year did Wellhausen come up with his theory of whatever, you know? And it was like, I just don't know. I just don't know. And so right then I got a decision. I'm going to do it God's way or I'm going to do it my way. You know, my notes are laying right over here and I'm in the office Nobody, I could look at my notes and nobody's going to know. And I, I could pass this test. But if I fail this test, if I fail this test, you know, there goes my whole, I mean, you make, a, make an F on one of these tests and, you know, it blows your whole, it blows, you know, you'll have, to, you'll have to work really hard just to get a C in the class, you know, when you blow one of these tests really bad. And so the decision is, am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it God's way? And if I do it God's way, I'm going to lose everything. You know, I'm going to, whatever. And so, uh, I, I cheated. <laughs> I did. You was expecting a different answer, wasn't you? I guarantee you, I looked at my notes, I passed, I made a B. And it's all good. All right. I'm glad y'all learned a lesson. See y'all later. No. I did. I guarantee you. I looked all in the notes. I cheated all just some. Didn't you feel bad? Yeah, well, I ain't finished with my story yet. She's like, she's like, this dude's teaching me Sunday school. The next day, that afternoon, the next day, I mean, it just got to wearing on me bad. I mean, you know, it got to wearing on me bad. I kept seeing myself preaching somewhere, you know, and knowing that the whole time I'm preaching, I never would have been here if I hadn't cheated. You know what I mean? I, I can see myself getting up into a pulpit 30 years from now, getting ready to preach a message, and it's still coming. The only reason you got your degree is because you cheated. You cheated. Through your, and it was just something I couldn't live with. And so now I've got another decision. I've got to call my professor and tell him I cheated. But then if I do that, guess what's going to happen? You get the boot, man. They don't play around with that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you're getting kicked out of seminary. And therefore, I'm going to lose everything. And so I had the same choice again. Do you call and get kicked out of seminary, do it God's way, or do you just go with it? You know, get, I mean, you can, you, just, you can make it. Well, thankfully, the Lord worked on me so, so hard. It took a couple days because I wasn't easily persuaded. Uh, but I did call it. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about I was, I'm a grown man. I was, what, 30-something I was probably 35, 36, 
And I'm standing, I remember I was standing in the driveway and I'm just crying like, <laughs> I, I cheated. Oh my God. You know, called this professor and he was like, well, let me, let me, let me look. What test was it? And I told him and I, and I he goes and I don't know what he's doing. I'm just waiting. I'm like, that's it, man. I'm out. I'm out. I'm gone. It's over. And uh, he got back on the phone. He said, Mr. Vallada, I said, yes, sir. He said, you took the wrong test. <laughs> I said, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> no, he said, you took the wrong test. He said, uh, that's why it didn't go. You know, I told him the whole story. And he said, that's why I didn't go with any of your notes, because you took the wrong test. And so they ended up, they ended up just because, you know, I guess he had too many students or whatever. They just let me keep what I had, knowing that. You know, I didn't get it the right way. They let me keep the grade, you know, and, and so it worked out. But that was just a blessing from God. The reality was that it might have, I mean, he was well within his right to can me because what I did was bad wrong. Uh, but it, it comes, that's the kind of thing what we're talking about here. The Pharisees had a choice. We're either going to go and let this man from Galilee do his thing, be the Messiah, show us the way to God, or we're going to hold on to all this stuff we got. We're going to hold on to this prestige and this, this authority and all this stuff. And, and we, we're going to have to get rid of him. And so they chose to do what we often choose to do. You know, we, we choose to do it our own way rather than to do it God's way. We, we choose to hold on to our worldly things because we think if we do it God's way, we're going to lose. We're going to lose out. And isn't that Satan's oldest lie? I mean, that's the oldest lie. He came and told Eve. He said, you know what? God really doesn't care about you. He just don't want you to be like him. You know, if you eat this fruit, you won't really die. You'll just know good and evil. You'll be like God. And that's what he's keeping something from you. God's trying to make sure that you don't prosper. God's trying to make sure that you don't do well. He's trying to keep, you know, keep you from having a good life and all those kind of things. And so that's the, I mean, that's the oldest line. It's still the most pervasive. I can't tell you how many people have come, you know, and say in the midst of, you know, you know, like, I don't know, like, like a husband cheating on their wife or a wife cheating on their husband and you go in to counsel them and they're like, well, God wants me to be happy. You know, and it's like, uh, no, not, not this God of the Bible here. You know, God doesn't want you to be happy by leaving your spouse and going off with another person, you know. And so the thing is, like, if I do it, but they know that intuitively. They know that God does not want me to commit adultery. But if I don't go off with this person... I'll never be happy, and God wants me to be happy. And, and see what I'm saying? If I do it God's way, I'm going to lose out. And if I do it my way, if I do it what I think is best, that's the way it's going to be prosperous and good, and I'm going to, I'm going to end up. We have that choice set before us every single day. And more often than not, I, you know, I hesitate to say that more often than not, we choose our own way. We choose our own and way. The thing that was, that's been governed, and it's been governed since in, in John, and you know what you were talking about with your test, that goes against you know what God has said in His Word is that we act out of our own will, out of fear, you know, fear of the what ifs. You know, if I do this, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. I'm fail seminary. You know, if if we allow Jesus to do this, we're going to lose our place. You know, and 
and in God's words, you know, he says, I come not in spirit of fear, you know, to give you power sound mind. And, but, you know, that's just, that's one thing in, in studying this chapter especially is how much everything is so wrapped around the fear of what if. Yeah. I don't want to lose my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And if I do this, I'm going to lose my stuff. You know, they're, yeah. they've talked themselves out of everything they've been taught. Yeah. Out of the fear of losing out. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the enemy. I mean, that how many times has that happened to us? We don't do what the Lord is showing us and telling us to do because we're, we're fearful. Yeah, absolutely. Fearful that it's not it's not going to end up good. That it's not our way. I mean, just to put it out there for what it is. But, you know, God, I know this is what you want to do, but this is not my way. Yeah, I know the Bible says, but, um, but, but, you know. I'm scared. Every I mean, day. That's right. And okay, so what I want to show you though is that even through even through those that would seek to you know even if you have a whole whole kaggle of enemies over here that is trying to make your life miserable and trying to take from you and trying to do God's will in your life God's purpose in your life is going to end up using all them for your good. He's going to make your enemies your footstool, as we, as we said the other night. Um, verse uh, 49, it says, And one of them, named Caiaphas, this was the high priest, he's being the high priest that year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. Basically called them idiots. He says, You know nothing at all. He said, Nor consider, he said, Think about this for a moment, that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that and that the whole nation perish not. He's saying it's not rocket science. You got a dude causing you trouble? What do you do? You get rid of him. It's as simple as that. But understand, verse 51 says, John tells us, And this spoke he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God, that were scattered abroad. So understand, in Caiaphas's heart, he's saying, "Guy's going to take away our position. Let's kill him. Simple as that. It's better. It's better than for one guy to die than the Romans to come and take away all our stuff, take away the nation, take away the whole people of Israel. It's better for one guy to die. But God speaking through Caiaphas, and I don't think Caiaphas knew it. Caiaphas was speaking out of his own sinful heart." But yet God knew that Jesus would die for the nation. He knew that Jesus would not only die for the nation, He would die to bring all the children of God together in one body. And so you see, God was even using this evil... God spoke through a donkey in the, in the Old Testament. Now, and I heard one preacher say that he speaks through jackasses every Sunday. And so God... He, yeah, hey, you like that, don't you? Uh, God spoke through a donkey. He spoke through. He spoke through. Um, you know, he's sp spoken in many different times, many many different ways. But uh, here, he spoke through Caiaphas, who thought he was speaking of his own goodness, of his own. You know, I want what I want, and so therefore, it's better that one should die than the whole nation perish. But God was using him. For his plan to sacrifice Jesus on the cross. You see what I'm saying right there? You see what I'm saying? That that even though this man, he was planning against God. 
He was planning against Jesus. He was planning to do harm to God's plan, to do harm to God's will, to do harm to God's people. He was only out for himself, only out to get what he wanted. And yet God still, in his rebellion, God used him to accomplish his good purpose. The Father said before the beginning of the world, he said that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, 30 years, not 30 years, but three years earlier, John the Baptist had said, this is Jesus, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Um, It was prophesied over and over again that the Messiah would die. In Isaiah 53, it says that the Messiah would die. And so... And so God was using even the man in his rebellion. God, he cannot, you know, this is a picture of a man trying to rationalize his sin. Caiaphas is saying, look, we're God's people. This is God's nation. If this guy's getting in the way of us being God's people and God's nation, we're just going to get rid of him. But in the midst of that rebellion, God himself was working for the good, not only of the people, but for the whole world. Because Jesus would die for the sin of the whole world. That makes sense. That's really good news. I mean, that's really good news for for me because when 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 people malign against me, when situations and circumstances come against me, uh, and everything inside of me wants to cry, God, how could you do this to me? What is going on here? Why am I going through this? Uh, even even in the rebellion of people, even in the rebellion of men and women that, that are in our circle, even in even in the things that they attempt to. Uh, you know, scheme against us, to scheme against God's word and God's will. Even in the political things, when people are coming against Christianity and you see all this crazy stuff going on in the news and you're wondering, you know, the world was going to, what's going on and what's going to happen to us, we can take comfort in the fact that God is still in control. God has not left his throne and he is still working all things for good. We may not understand how all this is happening or why all this is happening, uh, but we can see now why Caiaphas and all these other people decided that Jesus had to die. We see God behind that now because we know the story that the Father came and killed and poured out His wrath on the Son. It was the Father's will that He be crushed. It was the Father's will that He give Himself. Uh, But if you were alive back then and you were following Jesus and all this was going on, you'd look around and you would be going... This is not good. This is bad. Everything's bad. It's 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 a scary time to be alive because they're all coming against us and they're they're going to kill us. Remember last week the disciples didn't want to go to Bethany. They didn't want to go back to see Lazarus because they were saying, you know, they're they're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill you. And if we go back there, we're going to be in danger. And they just decided, you know, let's go die with. So it was a scary time for them to be alive. It was a scary time to be for them to be followers of Jesus. But God was working in the midst of all those things. Let me finish real quick. Um, they, Caiaphas had murder on his heart. He had sin on his heart. That was his intention. But God's intention was to use him for his own good purpose. That makes sense? Does that mean Caiaphas is not responsible for his actions? No. No, that does not mean. Caiaphas will be, he will be, you know, judged for his sin. He'll be punished for his sin. But God uses even the sinfulness of man to accomplish his good purpose. I know that may be confusing. We can talk about that a little more later if you'd like to. Uh, Verse 53 says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. uh, 53 was that. 54 says, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but when thence... 
went thence unto a country near the wilderness in a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. He wasn't, he wasn't going to die just yet. He went off into the wilderness, and from chapter 13 all the way to the crucifixion in John is Jesus teaching his disciples. And we're going to see that. Uh, we're going to learn from that. Uh, a week. One week. Uh, in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, uh, Then Jesus six days before the Passover, and that was the Passover he was going to die at. So from between chapter 12 and the end of the book of John is the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, verse 55, And the Jews, uh, the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out the country up unto Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Uh, why, did they, why were they expecting him so much now more than any other Passover? Because he had just... Raised Lazarus from the dead. That's right. We'll see that in the next chapter. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. Everything seems to be working against Jesus. Everything seems to be working against God's plan. Everything seems to be working. If you were following Jesus... This would be the beginning of the end for you. What in the world is going on here? How are we ever going to make it? You know, we can't. If it was up to the disciples, they would have cut tail and run a long time ago. They would have, they would have, you know, just why are we here? What are we even doing? But God was working through all of this. God was setting the stage for his perfect plan to take shape. When it happens in our life, when, when things are just, it just seems like it's the worst thing ever. And things are not going the way it's supposed to go. And it just looks like there's no hope, there's no, there's no help, there's no anything around. Understand that God's still on the throne, that He is working everything toward His perfect will, perfect plan. And uh, it's working toward your good and my good. Because all things work together for good. Does that make sense? Any questions? No? No comments? Anything? Do I look like a Christmas ornament? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might say I look like a Christmas ornament. I told you Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings you've given us, God. Father, we, we just ask that you'd be with us as we go into service and that you would use all that you've taught us, God. Use your word. Speak to us by your spirit today, God, as Brother Eddie preaches, and help us just to, uh, to, to understand what you have for us today and change us and make us into who you want us to be.